The meat of live is Christ. The meat to die is gain. Every moment in between, there'll be joy and there'll be pain. I can't worry about the future or change a thing about my past. I've got this moment to believe and I'm gonna make it last. I am filled to be emptied. This is Pastor Michael Rogers from The Jar at 702 H Street Northeast in Ardmore, Oklahoma. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. Pray with me. (laughs) Father, we are so excited about what you have shown us over the last week and and, uh, how you have moved, even in the the midst of tragedy and and concern and fear, uh, you have moved to show us uh, things that we cannot wait to share. So we pray, God, that you would keep us from preaching Indiana fast today, that we would go in Oklahoma pace and take our time and help each person who hears this message to understand just what it means for them and how important it is for them to hear. So we just praise you, God, and thank you that you are here and that your word speaks true. So remove Carrie and I from this teaching. Let only your truth pass through our lips. Father, if there's anything that comes from us, no matter how witty or funny or smart it sounds, we pray that it's quickly forgotten. But if it is yours, if it rings with your truth and drips with your grace, God, then we pray it takes root in the heart of every person here, ourselves included, and that we are changed and transformed. We are made new by what you have shown us today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right, we have been on a mission to help you to understand the mission of the jar. And so we started out talking to you about our uh, core values, and they are three. And they spell JAR, makes it easy for you to remember. Joy, authenticity, and relationship. We believe that joy is a confidence that comes from knowing that God is in control no matter what our circumstances are. So we don't want to just be happy. Being happy is fleeting. Being happy is is based on circumstances. But joy is based on the Lord and comes from our understanding of who He is and how He operates in our lives. And that allows us then to be our authentic, true selves Uh, in Christ, uh, to have our identity in Him, so that as we have a relationship with Him and a relationship with the people around us, and even to some extent our own relationship with ourselves, we come to the saving knowledge of God's grace and His truth in equal measure as we learn how to operate in this world today until Jesus comes back and takes us home. And so that's the jar. And so we wanted you to know what that looked like for that jar to, uh, to accomplish what God has given us to accomplish here in Ardmore. And so he wants us to fill that jar to be emptied. He'll fill the jar by himself. He doesn't need our help. He'll fill our jars. And then he, doesn't, he, he allows us to help uh, to empty it for others. Um, but the, what we decided was the way to, for you to best understand what we're trying to get across is to have a list of questions you could ask to see where you are in your ability to be a disciple maker. There are a lot of churches out there that talk about being disciples. We want to talk about being disciple makers. I would love for us to get to the point where we stop counting baptisms and we start counting baptizers. 
where the people who are influencing the people around them are being asked to baptize them instead of us as preachers so that I can say with Paul, I, we didn't even we didn't baptize any of you except maybe this one family. The rest of you did the baptizing. Uh, all we did was give the truth. And that's what we are hoping to build here. So here are the questions. And they spell the word filled. Am I fervently pursuing my faith in God? Am I praying? Am I fasting? Am I reading? Am I doing the things that help me and, and feed myself? When a, when a toddler is learning how to feed itself, we think of that as progress. Um, and so, but if a 26-year-old is still being fed by mom, it's probably not a good thing, right? Um, probably, that probably means there's some issues there. So you in your faith, if you have been in the church for a long time and you are still waiting for someone to feed you, there's probably an issue there. We need to figure out how to be fervently pursuing our own faith. The second one is, am I invested completely in the mission that God's given us? Am I engaged in what God is doing? Am I giving to what God is doing? Am I growing as I learn what God is doing? And am I sharing what God is doing with the people around me? Uh, then we asked, am, am I learning my unique shape, how God is uniquely shaping me? I have passions and talents and, and gifts and spiritual gifts that God can, has given to me personally so that I can be a certain member inside the body. And Paul tells us that we need all the members of the body in order for the body to function correctly. Some of them are going to be out there in the spotlight. Some of them are going to be easily seen. Many of them are going to be behind the scenes doing the work that God is asking them to do so that we can reach people for Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are or what part you play. You are all an important part of the body of Christ. And so are you learning how God uniquely shaped you so that you can go into the world and ask the next question, which is, am I loving the one in front of me? When Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, he doesn't mean to love the guy who's living next door. He means love the person in front of you, whoever that is, love that person like Jesus would love them. And so as we learn how to do that, we're going to find ourselves in positions to, to with a heavenly perspective, to be heavenly ourselves, to see heaven, and then to bring some heaven here. And as we do, we should expect God to move in real life. And so the next question that we are finishing today is, am I expecting God to move in real life? And that's the, the tension that we're looking at today. In the middle of that, we've been looking at the great commandment, which comes from the, the Jewish Shema, which is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's how Jesus says it in the New Testament. It says heart, soul, and strength in the Old Testament, but that idea of soul to the Jew meant your identity and your decision-making capabilities. But to the Greeks, they had split those two, and so Jesus said, I'm going to show you both of those, heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so he talks about that, and we thought, you know, for us to expect God to move in real life, we need to understand how God moves in our hearts, how he gives us the desire of our hearts, how he helps us to see that where our treasure is, there our heart is also. And our desires and passions start moving toward him. And as we do, then our souls begin to take over and our identity in Christ starts taking shape. And as our identity in Christ takes shape, we then can renew our minds through his scripture, through prayer, through fasting, through uh, gathering with the fellowship, so that we can become better decision makers for Jesus. And when we do that, we then must talk about what it means to love him with all of our 
strength. And that's what we're doing today, is learning how to love him with all of our strength. We always start with a considered question. And so what I want to do right now is ask this considered question, give you about 10 or 15 seconds to consider it yourself. You don't have to talk to anyone. You don't have to share what it is you're thinking. But here's the question. What do you do when your strength runs out? All right. So first, we want to start by describing what the word strength really means in this passage. Okay? So as we've seen again and again over the last four, three, four weeks, right? Having a closer look at each of these words has revealed aspects of the verse that you just cannot see in English. You know, the word love, the word Lord, the word God, the word mind, the word uh, soul. We've kind of been really digging into that. So looking at the Hebrew word strength, it's actually pronounced meod. And it's the least common Hebrew word we would use for the word strength. Some Hebrew strength words convey the idea of physical power and might. Some convey the idea of capacity and energy. Some convey the idea of having emotional strength and courage. But this word, meod, doesn't have these meanings. So let's take a look at a few verses that have the same meaning as this one so we can kind of get an idea. Okay? So the first verse we're going to look at is Genesis chapter 1, verses 31. It says, Then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very mayoed, good. Then in Psalm 92.5, is a psalm which describes why we should praise God. Oh Lord, what great, great works you do, and how mayoed deep are your thoughts. And then again in 1 Kings chapter 7, verses 47, it's describing the furnishings in the temple which Solomon built. And when the passage talks about the bronze pots and the shovels and the basins, it says Solomon did not weigh all these things because they were so many mayod, mayod. It's actually twice in there. Yes. Mayod, mayod. The weight of the bronze could not be measured. So mayod is, is nearly always an adjective. And it gets added to a noun to give a fuller description. So it's not just good, but very good. It's not just deep, but exceedingly deep. It's not just so many, but a beyond measure kind of thing. Um, so when it comes to conveying the idea of strength, mayode, it isn't a measure of muscle. It's not a measure of energy. It's not a measure of power. It's a higher level of worth, abundance, and moving beyond. So it's even greater than what we would think it would, would be. So in Deuteronomy 6.5, where we first run into love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength, that word strength is not describing something about you specifically. It's describing right. the love that you have. Love with all your, with the abundance of love right. that God would love with. And most of the time it's used to talk about God's capacity, not ours. Right. So another example to show you guys where this word mayod comes into play is in 2 Kings chapter 23, verses 25, and it's the story of King Josiah. And if you look at that passage, at the age of only 18, Josiah fully listened to God in repentance and removed all the false places of worship and all the false priests, 
and all the false religions and restored the temple as the only place of worship to the one and only God in Jerusalem in the land of Judah. And it says, never before had there been a king like Josiah who turned to the Lord with all of his heart and soul and strength, mayod, obeying all the laws of Moses. And it goes on to say, and there was never, there has never been a king like him since. So Josiah's love in this passage for God has passion, has a higher yes. level of worth yes. and abundance that moved his dedication and commitment beyond any king who ever came before him or after him. That's the kind of loving God that we're talking about when Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your strength. Loving God with all your beyond strength, your mayod. The Greek word, though, so we talked about the Hebrew word. The Greek word is iskos. Did I say that right? You did great. That's the one I always mess up on. <laughs> iskos, which means above and beyond strength. Yes. Defeating all worldly powers and authority strength. Death conquering, grave defeating, resurrection strength. That's some powerful strength. Yes. That's some powerful strength. Yes. So when the first commandment calls us, when Jesus tells us to love the Lord our God with all of our strength, this is the type of strength that Jesus had in mind. But here's the thing. It sounds like a strength that's like way out of our reach. Yeah. Right? You're like, Carrie, there's no way that we can do that. It's so out of our reach. But here's the thing. I hope that you guys have figured out that over this series that we can't do this love the Lord, no matter which area you're talking about, heart, soul, or mind, or strength. You can't do this love, the love this what we're talking about, iskos, or mayod, without your heart and your soul and your mind in line with him. The change necessary to get your heart and souls and minds to accept this, this new paradigm, it's not natural for us. That's right. It's That's not right. natural. It's something supernatural that we're talking about here. It takes the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. It takes him Amen. residing Amen. in us and living in us to give us this above beyond strength because we as humans don't have the capability of doing that. Okay? But here's the thing. Don't give up hope. <laughs> it is strength that is totally available and accessible to us if we ask God to give it to us. So Paul tells us about that in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 11. And he says, A final word, this is Paul speaking, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And that should be iskus. That's right, iskus. But, but it's the same as mayod. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Yes. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then after the battle, you will be standing firm. Mm -hmm. So be strong in the Lord. Literally translated here means know that you are a recipient of the strength that has its source in the Lord. Yes. That's good stuff, y'all. It doesn't come from us. It comes from him. And that's what Paul is telling us. You, you have no strength in yourself. Well, you do, but it only goes so far, right? right? But only that which comes from God himself through the Holy Spirit, that is the source, for want of a better description, that is the source of your power. 
But knowing that there's a source of power and having access to that power are two separate issues, right? Yes. So look at our TVs. They have power. How do they have power? It's power backed by the system of power lines and cords. So the cords start here, they go up into the ceiling, they go out to the thing out here, they go out to the pool, and then you go all the way down into the power plant in Ardmore, right? So all that power and energy is, uh, is of absolutely no benefit unless we do what? Plug it you in. You gotta plug in the TV. You gotta plug in the TV. That TV can't work unless we plug it in. You can lay it next to the outlet and it will have just as much power as if you had kept it in its box. That's right. You have to plug in in order to receive the power. Now God has made us amazing creatures. Yes. We have amazing resources ourselves and we can often, even without God, do amazing things because of how he has made us. We are made in his image. Mm -hmm. But at some point when we run out of our own strength, what do we rely on from there? How do we go on from there? And God says, look, you were never meant to be the power source. You were meant to be the power conduit. God provides his power in you and through you so that others can see his power in the world around you. You are filled by his power to be emptied for others. Well, and I, I, I love how Jesus ends it with strength. He doesn't start off with strength, right? Yes, right. He doesn't say, love the Lord your God with all your strength, heart, mind, soul. He puts strength as the last one. And that's on purpose. Because we've talked about love. We've talked about how we have to change our hearts and how we have to be available for that change. But sometimes it can be tough. It can be tough to change your heart. We've got to give it to him, right? Then we've learned, learned about the soul. And how the soul is basically your barometer. It's the thing that is your identity, but also leads you to yes. back to Christ. Yes. And that desire to worship God and know he is who he is. And then we've talked about the mind and how we have to renew our minds every morning of every minute of every day. It has to be transfigured. And we, we have to constantly remind ourselves that our minds need to be renewed. That we need to change our thinking. Yes. Um, and so when you look at those three things, that's a heavy load. Yes. What he said, there's packed a lot in that one sentence. Yes. And Jesus is asking us that he's commanding us to do these things, and it's very hard. And so he ends with this word mayod. He ends with this, this is a strength that only I can give you. Right. You can't love me with your mind and your soul and your heart unless you let me give you the strength to do it. And so he's basically saying, don't worry. Don't freak out. I know you're not going to be able to do this on your own, this commandment I've given you, but I'm going to give you my spirit living within you if you believe in me to give you the power to do those three things. Amen, amen, amen. And I, I, I've talked to you uh, in this series about what it feels like to be uh, so filled up that you're filled to the brim. And it, you've been in science class and then that experiment where you keep adding drops of water and it, keeps, it goes above the top of the glass and the surface tension of the water keeps it in there. But what this word is talking about is that you stop putting drips and you just pour a great big pitcher right into that and it just right. splashes all over everything. 
It's a good me measure, pressed down, shaken up, and spilling over to everyone else. And so the abundance of your resources comes from the fact that the filling came from God in the first place. So it's not your strength spilling over. It's his strength spilling over in your life. The way that we uh, access that uh, strength is to be abundantly his. And that's our B for today. Be abundantly his. The more we are his, the more he pours into us. The more he pours into us, the more pours out of us. The more that pours out of us, the more we're prepared to receive more from him. And that is the cycle that he puts us in so that all of a sudden we're now not just a jar waiting to be filled so that we can pour a little out when we want to. We're part of a fountain and the water that comes out of us is just spilling into the jars around us until it does the same. And he's not only pouring into us, he's pouring into the person next to us. One of the things that I've talked often in churches as I've gone through the different ministries that God has given me is we too often think that we're supposed to come to church to get. We want to come and find out what do you have for me, God? But that's not what God wants from his people. What he wants is for them to come into the fellowship to give. And by giving, we will automatically get. Now, there will be times in our lives where we come to the church and we don't have anything left to right. give. We've been doing it under our own strength. We don't have the strength of God to give to anybody. And we barely make it in the door. As a matter of fact, we might even sit in the parking lot and decide whether or not we're really going to come in. And we finally make it into the church. And when we get there, we find everybody there. If we find everybody there giving, guess what happens to us? We get what we need. But if we come every Sunday expecting that from everyone else, we will never grow in Christ. If we come every Sunday looking to give, except for the Sundays where we just don't have it, then what we will find is God builds a fellowship of people that have a different sense of community than everyone else in the community around you. And all of a sudden, we become what he says we're supposed to be, a light shining on a hill, salt for the, for the people on this earth. Those are the kinds of things that he wants us to have for ourselves. So. And I love how much God loves us that he, like Paul said, he gives us that strength. Mm -hmm. The other thing, too, is that in this culture that we're in, especially in this country, it's all about do it on your own, be independent. Yes. Put yourself up it, by your bootstraps. You know, and, and there's some, some good things to that. But at the same time, we get so focused on, I've got to do it all by myself, that we forget that we don't have to do it by ourselves. Yeah. He's the one that gives us that strength if we just ask him for it. And it's not just a physical strength. It's not just a mental strength. It's a, it's a strength beyond all measure. Mm -hmm. When I said defeating world powers, defeating conquering strength, like resurrection strength, I have resurrection power living inside of me. Yes. He gave that to me as a gift. Right? So that we don't have to do this world all by ourselves. That's why he gave this to us. Now, the, the issue that we have is too often we turn that into opportunities for shame. We turn that into, man, if I have that much power in me, think about how much I should be doing for God. And we start filling ourselves up with things to do for God 
instead of letting God do them through us. And we will inevitably burn out. And when we do, we fail. And when we fail, we feel guilty. And when we feel guilty, we tend towards shame. The difference between guilt and shame is guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, there's something wrong with me. And when we live inside that place, the enemy has won because he has made us unfruitful and ineffective in our ministry. Instead, we say, okay, God, I want you to add from in my faith at virtue, in my virtue at knowledge, in my knowledge at self-control. In my self-control, God, please help me to add godliness. In my godliness, please add my, the brotherly love I have for the church. And in that brotherly love, please add to me the agape, unconditional love that you have for everyone else so that I can go into the world and be fruitful and be effective. I don't have to do this by myself because you have forgiven me for the times I've fallen short. I hope you guys see that what basically God has done is given us in that one verse is given us a foundation. Yes. Right? The foundation helps us figure out what the more visible action should be. So without being content in your heart, without guarding your soul, and without being alert to God's truth, we're just going to keep repeating the, the same bad choices oh, over and over and over again. Yeah, that's good. And so he's setting... I mean, like I said again last week, I was just in awe. I told Michael, I was like, this one sentence, I've heard it my whole life since I was a little kid, but I had no idea how much was in that one commandment. I mean, it was just packed full, and I've really enjoyed this, this study, and I hope you guys have too. But one of the things that we can do is kind of give you guys some practical things, mm -hmm. right? So here's the application part. Yeah. Practical ways to think about how to meet that goal of heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and I want you to know that we're going to touch on each of these briefly, but we have been preaching them all year. Right. So if you are new to us or you're listening on the podcast or on the radio, right. our podcast has all of those sermons that go more deeply into some of these things. But also know that we're going to continue to go deeply into these things. If you don't quite understand some of this, take what God gives you today and hold on to the rest until we can explain more further. Yeah, if you're taking notes, here we go. So number one... Put on the armor of God, like Paul said. Amen. Put on the, on the armor of God. That is the belt of truth. Jesus is the truth, and the truth sets us free. Yes. Allowing that truth to convict us daily and how, is how we put on that belt. We don't just put into practice the easy parts of the truth, but also those parts which call for serious transformation and rethinking. We, yes. we, don't use, we use the word rethink here for repentance yes because repentance really is rethinking right that renewing of the mind so the belt it makes us secure then there's the breastplate of righteousness that means right living that breastplate of right living a gift from jesus that gift from jesus is he makes us righteous um the second is shoes of peace shalom it's a peace which comes in all circumstances at all times, regardless of what's going on with you. Um, a peace which flows out of the reality that God has a plan for you and that he never leaves you. Right? I think about when my daddy was his first open heart surgery. He was so young. He was my age. He was 50 when he had his first heart attack and had seven bypass surgery. They thought it was going to be four, and then they got in there, and it was seven. And I remember standing out in the waiting area, looking out the window and praying to God because he was so young and it wasn't time for him to go yet, you know? And I remember this wave of peace coming over me, a peace that surpasses all understanding. 
That's really what that means. It's a peace that overflows you that you really doesn't make any sense. You shouldn't be at peace, but you are, right? I also remember when Anna, our daughter Anna, our second daughter, when she was diagnosed with juvenile epilepsy. Yes. And the fear that I had that she may never outgrow that. And I remember praying to God and giving it to him, and finally this wave of peace just came over me. Like, it's going to be okay. No matter the outcome, I've got her. She's my baby first, and I'm going to take care of her. That's the peace that we're talking about that surpasses all understanding. Put on those shoes of peace. The shield of faith. Faith is the heart of our relationship with Jesus. Faith is what we believe, and we believe in all the promises that we, we hold firm to those. Whatever God promised to us, he's going to come through. And when the world tries to throw that doubt on us, when the enemy tries to tell us that we can't stand that shield, we got we taught you guys when we when we did the when we talked about the, the different aspects, we talked about how they would stand with one foot here and the shield here. And the shields would interlock. Right? Yes. And they would interlock, and that's what we do. Helmet of salvation comes to the moment we place our trust in Jesus and his resurrection. We are It's that lifelong journey. We know where we're going, and we know we're protected. And then the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Yes. Even Jesus would use the word of God as his protection. Mm-hmm. The word is the most effective weapon against temptation. So our next... One, our next practical one, number two, arm yourself with scripture. Reading the Bible is not about proving we are right. God wants us to read his word into us. So when you read the word, you're not reading it to say, I told you so. I know more than you do. That's not why we read the word, right? We read the word so that he will speak into us and so that we know who he wants us to be and what we're supposed to do. That's number two. We also learn that we read the Bible to find out how he wants to shape us and do who he wants us to be. Number three is pray for patience. I, I, this, is, this, this. Is my, this is one of my favorites. Yep. So there's this movie out that has gotten a lot of, it, it, it was um, Evan Almighty. So here Bruce Almighty and Evan Almighty and God is played by Morgan Freeman. And he says something like, if, uh, if you pray for patience, do you think God gives you patience? No, he gives you opportunities to be patient. The problem with that is God isn't going, okay, now I'm going to make sure they're patient. I'm going to, you know, have you ever heard, don't pray for patience because God will give you a reason to have it, right? Here is the truth, and I want the truth to be known by everyone in my, hearing of my voice. There are always going to be reasons to be patient. It's not something that happens because you prayed. It is something that just happens because the world does not operate on your timetable and you will always have something you wish would happen faster. When you pray for patience, you're not praying just for your natural everyday patience. You're praying for supernatural patience that will help you be expectant and waiting on God without trying to push God into a corner and make him do it the way that you want to do it. The best thing you can do in your faith and the thing that that gives you uh, the, the biggest sign of faith that you can get is when you are patient for him and you realize that sometimes you're waiting because you're not ready. Sometimes you're waiting because the circumstances are not ready. And sometimes you're waiting because someone else is not ready and it has nothing to do with you or the circumstances. 
And so supernatural patience means I'm going to trust God's timing no matter what it looks like. Pray for that patience. It referred to patience as a form of prayer. Yes, patience can be considered a form of prayer. That's right. God, I am going to wait on you no matter what. That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. But notice the, we put them in, in order on purpose. So you, first you put on your armor of God. Then you arm yourself with the scripture. Then you pray for patience. And then the next one is fasting. And I'm going to let Michael talk a little bit about fasting as well. We've taught on this topic as well. Fasting is so New Testament. Jesus didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast, this is what it should look like. But fasting uh, in our world, we just don't think of it today. And, and we re recognize now that there are some times that doing without food is actually could be medically a bad idea. Um, but you may have noticed if you've been on Facebook any in the, in the last year or so, all of a sudden fasting has become a new rage for health issues. They're, they're recognizing the value of fasting and they're starting to tell you that part of your diet should be a fast. But this is not that kind of fast. What we're talking about is giving something up for God's sake, not for your sake. It's not enough just to stop eating or to decide to go without social media or to not drink coffee for a month or to whatever you decide your fasting will look like. What matters is that whatever you give up, you give for his sake. So if I am not eating and I start feeling hungry, I, I replace my eating with prayer. If I if say I'm going to give up coffee, then any time that I have the urge to drink a cup of coffee, I replace it with prayer. I am doing something that is letting God know he's more important to me than whatever I have decided to give up. It's not enough just to give it up. It's meant to focus us on God and take the thing that we think is affecting our life the most and turn it on its ears so that that idol comes out of our lives and God becomes more important than whatever that thing is. Right. I think the big thing about fasting is when you do it, you're going to ask God to teach you something out of it. Yes. That's really the purpose of it. Yes. Right? And you're not going to tell a bunch of people that you're doing it. Right. Right? Because Matthew tells us not to do that. But we tell the people who matter in our life so that they can help keep you accountable while you're doing that um, and kind of support you in that process. But it's really about sticking to it and asking God to show you what it is he wants you to learn. Really, take, take a look at our podcast. We have a whole sermon on fasting. Right. And then the next one is be still with God. And that's why we do our, like I said earlier, we do our prayer of expectation here at the JAR, and there's a reason for that. Because we, we want to take time out of this busy, crazy world yes. to be still and know that he is God. And so distracting that, that noise out of our life or that you know cell phone or whatever it is out of our lives, that's important. And make taking time to be still with him, finding time to get on your knees and be silent. Then the next one is writing it out and letting it out. We've talked about journaling before and how yes. important that is. Um, for those of you who are new with us, we have journals. If you don't have one and you want one, we will give you one. They are free. We have a whole stack of them. Just come and talk to us and we will give you a journal to take notes during the sermons, to write down your thoughts or scriptures, whatever you need to do. But write it out and let it out. And journaling is not necessarily dear diary. No. Journaling is saying, God, here's what you've been showing me. Here's what I'm praying about. Here's the, here are the scriptures that have meant something to me. But sometimes they are. I'm, God, I have to pour my heart out here. I don't know who I can trust with this. So I'm going to write this right here. 
Um, but it can be really as simple as, God, thank you for showing me uh, Psalm 92.5 to know that when you talk about how deep your thoughts are, they're an abundance of deep. They're deeper than I ever could imagine. So I can trust you. Like, those are the kinds of things that you can journal. Right. Um, and they should lead right. you to a place of rejoicing. If all you're doing is pouring out the, the negative into your journaling, you're missing out. Also, put in, put your prayer requests, but then go back, check those prayer requests, and when they've been answered, put amen next to them. So that later on, you can look through your journal and see all the amens, all the different ways that God has done that. I'm getting goosebumps because I'm thinking of my own journal. And I know in here at the jar, there weekly God is answering prayer so I'm always having to go back to that journal and put amens in there for things that I didn't know God was going to do right six the last one six and seven kind of go together yes because when you do that then you can go back and rejoice and give him thanks you can look and see all that he's done and sometimes we get so busy once again like I said crazy busy that we forget to thank him and we forget to recognize when he actually answers our prayers you know some of them may be very small or it may be something we prayed about six months ago and then we forgot that we gave it to him yeah and then we go back and realize oh wow he really did answer those prayers and so journaling and giving thanks to god at journaling or i've even had friends who take post-its and stick them on their mirror of their of, yes. in their bathroom yes. or stick it on the dashboard of their car a verse for the week mm -hmm. that they could focus on while they're driving or whatever yes. it is uh, but journaling or writing those things down, it helps us to remember what God has already done. Praise him for his deeds, but it also helps me believe that what he's, he's going to do it again. Yes. So when we start doubting, we can look back and go, my God is faithful. Yes. And he's going to answer all of my, you know, he's going to answer my needs and he's going to give me my strength that I need. Yes. Um, so those, those are the practical, seven practical steps. So here's what we thought is we're at the end of this version. So next week we're going to start talking about what it looks like to be a disciple maker. The last question is, am I discipling someone? That If you're a disciple maker, that should be a question you're answering all the time. Am I discipling someone? But we, we want to just kind of wrap up this whole series. And the best way to do that is with the, the story of Josiah. We mentioned right. him earlier. And I, I got to stand for this because yeah. I'm going to get excited. We're going to be in 2 Kings, if you guys want to turn to that. 2 yeah. Kings. Uh, you, you can turn to it. I'm going to use the ESV because of the way that it words some things. So it, it will show differently. But it's from 2 Kings. I'm going to talk about 2119 through 22 and 23. I promise it's only going to take me about five minutes. Uh, but what I want you to see is that God uses Josiah to show us what it looks like to build the things we've been talking about our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength so that we can be fully devoted to God to be abundantly His. So here's the story. The people of Israel were split into two kingdoms because they couldn't decide who was going to be king. After God told them they shouldn't have a king anyway because He should be their king. And so now they're a mess. And one of, the, one of the groups was Israel and it had more tribes in it. And then there was one that was Judah that had fewer tribes in it. And there was a king named Ammon of the, of the uh, kingdom of Judah. And right. he was evil. And he led the people into idolatry. He led them into all of these terrible things. It was so bad that some of the leaders finally decided to conspire to assassinate him. And when they do, the people are so evil, they assassinate the conspirators. And they put uh, 
Ammon's son on the throne when he's very young. Some of the Jewish scriptures say he was eight. Some say he was 18. doesn't really matter. He was a young man when he started. And they put him on the throne so that nothing would change. Now, the same, thing, same story is told in 2 Chronicles. And we learn there that the minute Josiah gets into the kingship, he starts making changes. Okay? And as he's making changes, one of the things he wants to do is he wants to build the temple. And so in chapter 22, he tells his high priest, Hilkiah, to go to the temple. Now, they have a high priest. His name is Hilkiah. He is important in the land, but the temple has been laying dormant for many, many years by this time. So much so that as they go and start fixing the temple, Hilkiah stumbles upon a a book. Like, hey, there's this book over here, and I'm reading it, and it is blowing my mind. What should we do? And he's like, well, we, we we should show Josiah the king. So they bring it to Josiah the king. And in chapter 22, verse 11, it, or verse 10, it says, Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. Verse 11, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And when he says he tore his clothes, what we're seeing is a heart-wrenching passion right. for what God has done in his life by showing him this thing. His heart has been changed. Before anything else happens, his heart has been changed. So he gathers all of his leaders together and he says, hey, we need to to consult the Lord. Go inquire of the Lord what's going to happen. And Hilkiah the high priest and all of his leaders go, well, we don't know how to do that. So they go looking for somebody who will and they find a prophetess. Her name is Huldah. And they go to her and they say, inquire of the Lord for us about this book. And so later in chapter 22, she gives the prophecy that explains what's going to happen. And God says, nothing is going to change. I am still going to curse Israel. They have been so far away from me. I'm still going to curse all of Judah. They have been so far away from me that the calamity is coming. But in 2219, he says, regarding the words that you have heard, because your heart was penitent, he's talking to Josiah, and you humbled yourself before the Lord. That's heart change, right? You humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard how I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they should become a desolation and a curse. And you have torn your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you, declares the Lord. It won't happen while you're alive. There is going to be peace as long as you are there. So Josiah gets all excited and he sends to all of the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He says, hey, you guys come here. I'm going to read this book to you. Mm-hmm. And in verse 3 of 23, it says, And the king stood by the pillar and made a covenant before the Lord. Now he's beginning to identify with God. His soul has now changed. His heart started. He had all that passion. He wept before the Lord. He tore his clothes. He said, God, we're doing it wrong. What's going on? But now he's going, okay, we may have been doing it wrong, but I am now going to identify with you. And the king stood by then and he said, we're going to walk after the Lord. We're going to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all of his heart and all of his soul to perform the words of the co- this covenant that were written in this book. Things are going to be different now. So not only has my heart changed, my identity has changed. And because of that, the decisions I'm going to make are going to change. I'm going to do something different. And then he begins to move and to act. 
and he is tearing stuff down, idolatry all over the place. He's moving the people to help him. He's going through all this. He's reading the book of the law to everybody. He's so excited. And reform and restoration is happening all through Judah. And he gets to the end of it, and he's finally like, hey, what about this poll here? And we find out that this guy, Jeroboam, who was one of the first kings during the split, had set up the Asherah pole himself and had led the people astray right from the beginning. And he says, what's going on with all that there? And they said, this is what's going on. This is where the idolatry started. He said, burn that to the ground. As a matter of fact, he gets all of the, the people, the priests that are leading the people astray, and he kills all of them and he burns their bones on that hill. Chapter 23, verse 21, it says, the king commanded all the people to keep a Passover. How did he know about the Passover? Because he had read about the Passover in the book of the law. And the Passover, if you remember, not... Oh, man. The Passover is the reminder that God had freed the Israelites from Egypt and brought them across the Red Sea, parted the Red Sea, killed all the firstborns of the Egyptians, parted the Red Sea, and moved them toward the Promised Land. And the Passover is a reminder that they put blood on their, lamp, on their lentils, or the doors so that the death angel would pass by, so that they would know that this sacrifice was about freedom. That Passover had not been celebrated. Listen to this. Verse 22, For no such Passover had been kept since the days of the judges who judged Israel, or during all the days of the kings of Israel or all the kings of Judah. But in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was finally kept for the Lord in Jerusalem. Now, all of a sudden, his heart has changed, his soul has changed, his mind has changed, and he has thrown all of his resources at following God. Moreover, Josiah put away all the meetings, does all this stuff. Now, if you look in the Chronicles version, here's what you find out. The Passover was coming upon them. It was the month of Nisan, and it was time to do the Passover whenever they found out about it. So the people didn't have time to prepare. So Josiah provided all of the lambs for all of the families so that they could do the Passover. He, as the king, took all of his abundance and threw it on the people. And therefore, the people were able to experience the atonement that comes from the Passover. I'm about to blow your mind. If you look at 1 Kings chapter 13, what you find out is that God prophesied all of this. When Jeroboam was putting the Asherah pole up, God sent a prophet, and the prophet said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, behold, a son shall be born to the house of David, Josiah by name, and he shall sacrifice on you the priests of the high places who make offerings on you, and human bones shall be burned on you. This was a fulfillment of a prophecy of God when they started the idolatry back then. And what came out of it? A a man who was after the heart of God with his heart, his soul, his mind, and his strength and who provided the lambs for the Passover. Josiah means the Lord saves. It is a derivative of Joshua, which in the Jewish is Yeshua, and in the Greek is Jesus. And Jesus is the one who came and made communion out of Passover. 
He is the one who came and He provided the Lamb for all of the families. He is the one who gave His heart, soul, mind, and strength to follow after God with everything that He had so that He could be the atonement. He could be the sacrifice. He could be the one that gave us the opportunity to love God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our mind, all of our strength. And it's His resurrection power and the Spirit that He sent that makes it possible. That is what it means to follow Jesus. And if we recognize that, and we live that way, the world will not be able to stay away from us. We will be irresistible. That's what we want to experience here at the job. We want to be irresistible disciple makers who are fervently pursuing God, invested in His mission, learning how God shaped us so we can love the one in front of us, expecting God to move just right here in real time, in real life, where we see Him moving. We can point Him out and disciple someone by saying, see that Jesus, see that God, see that Spirit, see that one. He died for you too. He died for you. Thank you for listening to The Jar. We want you to know the foundation of all this teaching comes from my book, Rethink, which is part of a series called Finding Hope, Faith for the Frustrated. And it's for those people who love Jesus, but they're struggling with the church and trying to understand where they fit inside the faith. It can be found on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You can ask for it at any bookstore. We ask that you would think about buying a copy and exploring further what it means to rethink your faith and follow Jesus with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength.